There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Welcome to River Cafe Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. Today, my guest is Alfonso Cuaron, the Academy Award-winning director, writer, and producer. Amongst his many masterpieces are Gravity, Roma, and Harry Potter. He is a man who combines beauty in film with a passion for telling stories. Alfonso is from Mexico, and ever since the architect Ricardo Legareta brought us there in 1991, our family has returned every year to this stunning country and the people who live there. Alfonso and I share the feeling that our children are the center of our lives, that food is a focus of our days, and Italy is a second home for us both. I admired Alfonso through his movies long before I knew him, and more and more ever since. Today, as we sit in the garden of the River Cafe and talk together, you will understand why. Gracias, Ruti. Alfonso, when I cook a meal in the River Cafe, when we when we are serving a meal, what you think about is the action of the dish, but what really we're thinking about is the preparation before. So we, we start very early in the morning to prepare, to think, to about process. And I found very moving the interview that you did about making a film. And you talked about that. You talked about the the lighting, you talked about the black and white photography, you talked about the cinematography, you talked about process. So process in film, process in food, what, what do you feel about, what, what is your thing about the relationship? I think it's exactly the same process, but I think it's, it's the same with any creative endeavor, being this a technical endeavor or, a, uh, or, or, or an artistic endeavor. Uh, I think that everything comes from the concept. You know, first there's a concept, and that concept, interestingly, I think comes out of memories. And those memories, in the specific case of food, I mean, that's what food is, is, is so amazing, because it combines the two biggest centers of memory, that is taste and smell. Yeah. In film, you go through different things. Like what? Tell me about film and pro- uh, in, in the specific case of Roma, for instance, the process I try to focus, the process, yes, in images, but also in terms of smells and, and sounds. Mm. And uh, uh, in, in terms of, once that you start getting the concept also, then you, you have, to, you, you have to, to start landing that process. How landing it. Landing it is like, how am I going to make this happen? Mm-hmm. That I guess that in the, in the kitchen, in the, when mm-hmm. you're cooking, is pretty, pretty similar. You have an idea of a recipe. You have an idea for 
uh, uh, for a film. You write the screenplay, you write the recipe so everybody can have the same shared information because that's something that is so specifically, is so similar between, between say, cooking and, and, uh, and, and cinema that a lot of different processes are involved and a lot of different people are involved in the process. Another element that we have in common mm. is the presentation. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. one thing is just mixing the in ingredients and having the amazing dish, but how you're going to present it. And that's the last thing. That's, that's what I do. Oh, that's what the head chef does. We stand there, and I will not send a plate out to your table. I'm the last person, so the responsibility is mine. I'm the last person to see a plate before it goes. And I guess you're the last person to see your film before it's in the cinema. And then, right? you, not only that, but, but, <laughs> but also you have to, to because in, in, in a film also is, is the presentation goes together, your film, with which image you're going to, to, to use to convey the, the film, meaning the posters, the yeah. trailers, yeah, all, all of that stuff. Alfonso, tell me about the food of your childhood. Tell me about growing up in Mexico. I belong to a uh, middle-class family in Mexico City. You know Mexico, and you know how, how different is a middle class in Mexico than the European middle class mm -hmm. or the or, No, I don't. What US. way? Tell me. Uh, a middle-class family in Mexico growing up in the 60s and the 70s it, there was still a mentality of making things last. Mm. I remember the refrigerator in the kitchen was probably a refrigerator of the 50s. Mm. You know, that rattled a lot, by the way. Uh, the kitchen was an old kitchen. Uh, I mean, there was one TV set for the whole home, mm. you know, and, and an old one. And with the food, it was... Uh, so what I'm saying that is that the, the dichotomy of this is that in one hand, yes, it's not, it was less opulent than the, the, what it would be like a European or American families, a, a middle class families, but at the same time because of the horrible social structure of Mexico and the disparity, any middle class family uh, has domestic workers and many of those families of the these middle class families they have social uh, uh, domestic workers that live in the premises mm -hmm. in the in, in in what it was called the servants quarter mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and when you say servants quarter you're, you're thinking okay well yes a huge houses no not necessarily everything was run cramped up mm. and I have to say that the duty of the kitchen, it fell in the, in, in the hands of these domestic workers. In my house, there was uh, one person that was more in charge of the kitchen. Mm -hmm. One, another person was in charge of all the other uh, chores around the house. When I, my first memory was a very old woman called Benita. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess that she was from Mixteco origin, mm -hmm. south of... Where is that? Uh, that's southern Mexico. I mean, Mixteco, they extend, uh, they extend between what is Oaxaca, Veracruz, oh. and Benita. She was really old. The memory I have of her was just a face filled with wrinkles. 
And Benita was the, was the cook. And uh, she would just, pretty much, she was very independent about, unless there, was a spe- there were special occasions mm-hmm. in which, as you, we were talking before, it was more about my grandmother giving instruction. She wouldn't bring the food of her region because Mexico is so regional. Would she cook the food where if she'd come from Oaxaca, would she cook that food? She, or would, would, she, cook, cook she food? would cook food for Oaxaca, but being a middle-class family in Mexico, there was a lot of Mexican food, yes, mm. but there was this kind of uh, uh, Spanish tradition, I would, I would oh. think, um, and uh, a combination of this kind of uh, Spanish and European French tradition, mm-hmm. uh, completely adapted, mm-hmm. I guess. You know, it was very syncretic. Um, and uh, when I was a kid also, there was starting to be greater influence from the U.S. Oh, so the, the whole thing of burgers and hot dogs. I'm picturing the, mm-hmm. your household, your family home. And so you would come home from school or your father would come home from work or your mother would come home and and then you would all. Do you have a large family? Did you have brothers? And I, sisters? Yeah, I, I had. Uh, I have three siblings, uh, one sister, two brothers, and the the household was pretty much uh, the way they describe in, in the film Roma. Yeah. The interesting thing is that it was a combination between whichever uh, food Benita cooked by her, by, uh, you know, because she knew how to cook. She was great. But also, my grandmother would come with her big book of recipes. Oh that it was at one of those ancient books. You know? Well, it was not a book, it was a notebook. Mm. It was all written, handwritten, probably from her family, her mom, or whatever. It was a very old kind of uh, uh, notebook. And she would go through the pages and find like the recipe that was going to be for that day. So that means that so those recipes will come from from way before. It's interesting because yesterday I, I, I did a conversation with Salman Rushdie. Mm-hmm. And so there's someone who grew up in Bombay with a book like that in his kitchen from his great-grandmother. He said that almost every kitchen, you know, had the great-grandmas or the grandmother's recipes written in hand, you know. And that, yeah, well, that would have so been maybe my great-grandmother yeah, uh, book. Yeah. And who knows for how yeah, far yeah. back it would yeah. come. And it was... Yes, I remember it was... Uh, I never, I, I, and I was a kid and was not that interested, but what I was amazed with was the handwriting mm. because the handwriting looked antique. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there was still like uh, in between pages, like dry flowers and yeah. stuff. Where is that book? I have no idea. Better be find it. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit betterhelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. Betterhelp.com slash Ruthie. 
The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. The recipe that I'm going to read for Alfonso that he chose is orecchetti with tomato and ricotta. 300 grams orecchetti, 300 grams of cherry tomatoes, very ripe, cut in half and squeezed. One garlic clove, chopped. 50 grams of grated parmesan. One bunch of fresh basil. A tablespoon of extra virgin olive oil and 200 grams of ricotta. Combine the tomatoes and garlic, season, add the olive oil and toss to combine. Let marinate for 15 minutes or so. Put the ricotta in a bowl and season with salt and black pepper. Cook the orecchetti in boiling salted water until al dente and then drain. Gently heat the tomato mixture and add the drained orecchetti, stirring gently to combine. Finally, stir in the ricotta and the basil leaves and serve with parmesan. So, Alfonso, why did you choose this recipe? Sounds so simple, no? <laughs> yeah. It's so, in many ways, so basic. And I think that that makes it so universal. It it is one of those in which uh, it allows every single flavor to go to come through. Mm. You know, is with with the tomatoes, particularly Mm. those tomatoes that you use. Yeah, you feel the soil. Yeah, it's interesting because food is amazing because you can like simplicity the same way that you can enjoy a dish that takes like 15 hours to make, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's a completely different journey. It's a completely different trip. The, uh, the, the beauty of dishes like this is, is how honest and immediate they, they feel, but by this, because of the same reason, nothing can go wrong. I think that growing up in the United States, the image of Mexican food that we had of the of Mexican food is being so heavy and so many so many different dishes on a plate you know that you would have you'd get it go to a Mexican restaurant and then it would just be very heavy and then the experience that I had it was really radical to go to Mexico and see this incredibly refined you know even if it was just rice and beans, there was just, or if it was a, a fish with a bit of chili and cilantro, or if it was a tortilla with um, just herbs and some cheese, it was so delicate. You know, it was robust, but the difference between the interpretation of Mexican food internationally and the reality of eating it in Mexico, for me as a cook, was well, yeah, it's, it's really totally because you, you you know of course you have heavy heavy dishes. I mean, mm. and you you have a, a lot of that that is like fast food. Mm. We, we, they be the equivalent of fast food. A lot of them that you find in in, in stands, like thousands of stands mm. that you know in the in the street stands. That is, they use a lot of corn and dough, corn dough mm-hmm. tortilla, yeah. uh, masa de tortilla in different shapes, and a lot of that is fried. And, and, and if you think about it, 
the difference between what would be a sope, chalupa, taco, and uh, say uh, guarache. Mm-hmm. If you ask what are the ingredients, pretty much are exactly the same. Mm. The difference is how that corn dough is prepared. A little bit like pasta. Yeah. Now, that one, yes, it can be heavy if, it's, if you limit Mexican food to that. But that's, you know, it's, 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 that, that is just, it's like saying Italian food is pizza. Whenever I go to a city, almost, is the first thing I do is try and go to a market. Because in a way, the market tells you where you are. It tells you about the people there. It tells you about the food that's there, the attitude towards the food. Um, and so Mexico, for me, was full of great markets. Were you? Uh, did you go to the markets? Were oh, you well, that's, you're, you're, you're hitting something that's very important there. Because, yeah, yeah I, I think that unfortunately all of that is changing as well in Mexico because of the arrival of the big supermarkets and the convenience of the big supermarkets. But what I grew up, it was, uh, I love as a kid going to, 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 to the market. Mm. It was an adventure. I mean, it, it was just going through the stalls and you have all these kind of fruits and vegetables, yeah. but also you will go to the meat section or the yeah. fish section and they were like chopping all the stuff there. Yeah, yeah? and it was the, the mixture of, of, of the sounds, the smells, but those are things, the sounds. Yeah. You know, you've been in a, in, a, in a market in Mexico, like most markets, uh, of course. It's just the cacophony of, of yeah. sounds between the people announcing uh, their, their, their produce and uh, the, the chopping of the, of the butcher to some music in the distance. That's another thing. Growing up, it was the, the smells of the bakery. Yeah. And also... The most beautiful smell, the smell of the tortilleria. Ah, uh, tell me about that. Oh, that's uh, to do as you as you know to do uh, the tortillas. Uh, you go through a process called mix mixtamal. Mm. That is how you grind the, mm. the 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 corn, and it's a it's a machine. It's a big machine that grinds the the corn into this dough, and then the machine actually goes and creates the tortilla. And, uh, so you don't have that rolling out process? No, you don't have that rolling out, yeah. but now it's mechanical yeah. in most of the cases. Right. There's a whole mechanical sound that comes with it. It's, it's very metallical and very mm-hmm. machine with a lot of squeaking. Mm-hmm. And the thing is the combination of the sound and the smell. Yeah. That is fantastic. Now, I love that, but nothing beats a handmade tortilla. Yeah. There was, uh, you know, Laura Esquivel... And yeah. she wrote, like, Water for Chocolate. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, okay. Course, La- course. Laura uh, used to say that the big difference is that when you are doing the tortilla by hand, you're actually infusing the tortilla with energy. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah. She, she was saying that. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. 
It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. When you left home and you were on your own, did you, at first, did you cook? Did you start cooking for yourself or did you? um, I tried to cook for myself and uh, I was, yeah, I was sort of successful, but I, you know, I, I was, I was young and I was completely busy trying to make a living that my priority was elsewhere. Yeah. And wrongly so, because I think that that would have helped a lot. Disco- discover the kitchen and, and, and cooking earlier. And that didn't happen until later, and not because of me, it's because my son came to live with me. And it was this whole thing of, okay, I'm not going to be just going and, and doing... I was living in New York at the time. So I'm not going to be just doing takeaways, mm. you know, for my son. Mm. I have his, his home. I need to mm. cook for him. Mm. So yeah, I would then I started spending a long time going through recipe books and, and and trying to figure out this combination of yes, food that is it was more kind of international food if you might, but always having Mexican Mexican dishes or mm. Mexican oh, ingredients. Yeah. And I was in New York and you could get, get at that time some ingredients. Mm. Now you can get everything in New York mm. for Mexican food, but then it was a bit more difficult, so you would have to to sort out the places. Um, and then is when I start cooking. The problem is, and it's something I haven't, I haven't solved yet. What is that? That I love cooking, but I'm messy. Oh. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> and the other thing is, I don't know how to manage the time. Yeah, yeah. Time and mess is, is, is the, the to, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and because uh, there was a period which I said, you know, I, I just want to stay here home and, you know, yeah. like my kid just moved to New York, I want to be here. So it was pretty much dedicated to that and my life would go into doing menus and what I'm going to cook tomorrow. When you when you um, talk about, we've talked about food in your, in your parents' home and your grandmother's cooking and in New York you're cooking and bringing ingredients, how do restaurants... Uh, appeal to you? Do you like eating in a restaurant? Did your parents ever take you to a restaurant yes. in Mexico City? Yes, that you was uh, for me. Growing up, that was a big treat. Going to a restaurant it was a treat. Yeah, yeah, it was a treat because it was expensive. Mm-hmm. So you would eat at home. I mean, the typical thing is, oh, I would like to go to a restaurant, and my grandmother and my mom saying, ah, we can cook it at home, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. cheaper. Uh, you would get. Mostly Mexican food, uh, where it would be international food or 
Argentinian steaks mm. or uh, empanadas and stuff like that. Once that I start being more independent, pretty much I lived in restaurants. Did you? Yes, because also restaurants are not only a place where there's food. It's, it's, it's a communion. And in Mexico, you know how it goes. I mean, the thing in Mexico is that comidas or lunchtime is dangerous. Why? Because you know that you're going to agree with some friends uh, to meet at 3 p.m. for lunch. And you sit there and maybe they order a tequila to open up. And then food comes and people eat. And the lunch <laughs> extends until 6 p.m., 7 p.m. And suddenly there you're staying there and you're asking for some sort of dinner. So food is, um, if it is a connection and it is something very important to our life. So I suppose my last question to you from a very wonderful conversation here as people are starting to eat in the garden, is if you have a comfort food, if there's a food that you go to, when not because you're hungry, not because you're celebrating, but because you need comfort, what would that food be? I think definitely would be quesadillas. Quesadillas. Yeah, that would be, that would be it. Well, I look forward to having quesadilla with you in I Mexico. I would love that. To visit the online shop of The River Cafe, go to shoptherivercafe.co.uk. River Cafe Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's Better, H-E-L-P, dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.